You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. We start a new series today, man. If you're here today and this is your first time or you're here today and you come back or you're here together and you're here every week, whatever, it's a great time to be here because a new series is a fun time. Today we're going to start a series on a book that was written uh, probably roughly 900 years before Jesus Christ ever walked the earth in the flesh. So the book we're going to start on today, and I don't know if you guys know what it is yet. I don't know if there's any hints. <laughs> Got it. Um, it was, this book was written like 3,000 years ago, okay? It's a book written 3,000 years ago to a far-off people in a far-off place who had different customs than us, who spoke a different language than us, who had very little in common with us. And that's what we're going to study for the next nine weeks. A book written to other people in a different place, different world, different language, different custom. And so your first question should always be, why are we going to do that? <laughs> like of all the books we could have picked, well, you know, didn't John Grisham do Like why, why, why are we going to read Exodus? And, and here's the reason. But I, let, let me show you guys a, a clip. Hold on. The Chronicles of Narnia. Raise your hand if you've ever seen The Chronicles of Narnia. Okay, good. A lot of you all have. The rest of you should watch that. But there's... <laughs> It's a wonderful movie series. It's allegory written by C.S. Lewis to help you better understand God and Jesus, and it's amazing. And part three is called The Voyage of the Dawn Trader. And to help you understand why we're going to read Exodus, I want to show you this clip. Check this out. Lucy, have you seen this ship before? Yes. It's very Narnian looking, isn't it? Yeah. Well, just another reminder that we're here and not there. There once were two orphans who wasted their time believing in Narnian nursery rhyme. Not so fascinating about that picture anyway. It's hideous. Edmund, it looks like the water's actually moving. What rubbish, see? That's what happens when you read all those fanciful novels and fairy tales of yours. Edmund, the painting! So in that scene right there, the, the kids, they're looking at a painting, right? And, and they're like, there's something about this that's familiar. And, and, the, and the other little boy, he's kind of like, what are y'all doing? That has nothing to do with you. Why are you like, that painting doesn't matter. And before they know it, this painting that feels familiar, they're sucked into it. And what they realize is this isn't just some far off place in a far off world. This is our world. Like we're part of this. And did you notice the painting was a boat? And water? Exodus, hello. <laughs> right? And so, like, they, they, what they realize is that they get sucked into this story. And this is what I believe can happen to you and to me over the next nine weeks if we will allow it. If you will throw yourself into this, if you will take the time and do the work and do the study and meditate, what you will find out is that the world might not get it because to them it looks like a far-off place and a far-off it doesn't. But to us, this story matters. Like, this story is part of our story. 
This story matters to us. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when he walked the earth, he frequently quoted things. Do you know what he frequently quoted? The Old Testament. The first five books. Paul, who's the apostle to the Gentile, over 185 times, Paul quotes the Old Testament to Gentiles. By the way, raise your hand if you're a Gentile. That's good. It's, once again, a more diverse Jewish population than I expected. (laughs) It's always encouraging that so many Jewish people are seeking it. But so this, I mean, this stuff matters to us. It's about our history. And Paul and Jesus, they cared about this. Not only that, Paul and Jesus are sharing the new story with people who know the old story. And I don't believe you can fully appreciate the new story until you know the old story. Matter of fact, I believe this. For those who will take this journey with us, it's a nine-week journey. And we'll end up in our Easter series. For those who will take this journey, you will come to understand and appreciate the Passover lamb at Easter in a way you never have before. So that's why we're doing this. We're doing this because we value knowing. Um, As a matter of fact, it's one of our core values. We have five of them, and you all have them memorized. We knowing we've and knowing isn't just about knowing the people in the room. It's about knowing those who came before us, the, the community of saints that has gone before. And, and part of the reason we study Exodus is so we might know those voices from before. And we value growing. And as we study this book, we are going to grow in our understanding and knowledge of God. We're going to grow in understanding that we have a God who should be feared. We're going to grow in our understanding of His power and His might. And through all of this, we will experience praising God in ways we never have before. I I mean this with the bottom of my heart. Like, if you will throw yourself into this study and get to know the one true God in a way you never have before, you will never, ever again sit on your hands during worship. Never. You will come into this place uh, full of awe, full of like a little bit of fear, but a lot of joy and just all these different, and you're like, oh, this is my God. You will value this experience and any time you spend with God in a way you never have before if you will open yourself up to the one true God. See, we don't, we don't want to study the Old Testament, though, because we like the New Testament God. He's friendly, right? <laughs> and most of us are like, okay, the Old Testament, that's the story of angry God, but I thought Jesus saved us from angry God. That's not really the story, though, right? What we're going to find is that it's the same God all the way through. And Exodus is, not, is a book of God's power. Make no mistake, it's a book of God's power. That's also a book of God's grace. And over and over, we are going to see God redefining some things for us. And I can't wait. I'm super stoked about this. I'm glad you're here. Please throw yourself into this. Please. As a matter of fact, if you brought a Bible today, go ahead and take it out. Uh, Open it up to Exodus chapter 1. If you didn't bring your Bible, bring your Bible. If you don't have one, we've we've got one for you. We've got one for free. And so, like, but bring your Bibles to this because you're going to want to highlight, you're going to want to underline, like you're going to want, if maybe you got your phone or whatever, whatever. Just bring some access. And so, while you're opening up to Exodus chapter 1, and I shouldn't have to pause for y'all to find this one. I'll give you a hint. Two. That's your hint. Genesis, Exodus. And so, like... While you're open to that, I, I want to just bring you guys up to speed. Because in order to really understand Exodus, you need to know a little bit about what came before. So Genesis 12.1, it says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, and Abram is a man whose name will later on be changed to Abraham. So it's, it's, the, it's the same person. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and and curse those who curse you. 
And you and all your families of the earth will be blessed through this. So God takes Abram, Abraham in Genesis and says, listen, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Okay? And then later on, as we read the story, we see that Abraham has children. And those descendants of Abraham become a nation. Does anyone know the nation name? Israel. Okay, the descendants of Abraham become the nation of Israel. All you people got that stand with Israel sign in your front yard. You don't even know the story. <laughs> now we're going to learn the story. Who exactly are you standing with? All right, so, so from Abraham comes the nation of Israel, right? And so the nation of Israel is, is this group of people, and they're growing and growing and growing. And there's one specific Israelite that comes along in the story, and his name is Joseph. Y'all heard of Joseph? He has the technicolor dream coat. You with me? And at some point, Joseph goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is the king of Egypt, and Egypt is the dominant superpower in the land, okay? And so Pharaoh, uh, Joseph goes to Egypt and wins the favor with Pharaoh, and eventually Joseph's whole family comes to Egypt because there's a famine in the world, okay? And so this is sort of catching you up. So the Israelites have now moved to Egypt, and Joseph has found favor with the king of Egypt, but that favor doesn't last very long. Eventually, the, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, dies, and a new Pharaoh comes along, and he doesn't so much like Joseph. And so this is Exodus chapter 1, verse 7, and let, let's see what's happening here. It says, but the sons of Israel, Joseph and his people, descendants of Abraham, were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. What land are we talking about? Their land? I'm talking about Egypt. So that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people and the sons of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise they'll multiply. And in the event of a war, they will join with those who hate us. And they'll fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to oppress them with hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities of Pithom and Ramses. But the more they oppressed the Israelites, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they began to dread the sons of Israel. The Egyptians used violence to compel the sons of Israel to labor and they made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks of all kinds of labor in the field and their labors which they violently had them perform as slaves. They just used the word labor like nine times. So what's happened is the Israelites listened to the command of God to be fruitful and multiply and so they multiplied. Now the Egyptians are like, ah, that escalated quickly. There's way too many of them. So let's enslave them. We'll hold them down because this is what a fearful people does when another people begins to rise. They enslave them, right, to try to stop it. And so they, they, they begin to enslave the Israelites. They're, they're dealing with them harshly so that they can't become the people they're called to be. But they keep multiplying. The worse they're treated, the more they multiply. I mean, this is crazy. And so eventually, this Pharaoh hatches a horrific plan in Exodus 1.15. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. One of them was named Sifra, and the other was named Pua. And he said, when you're helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it's a son, put him to death. If it's a daughter, then he shall live. They're so scared of what the Israelites are doing that the Egyptians decree that every male needs to be killed. Every male child should be killed. Now, guys, I know this is a far-off people in a far-off place, but I want you to use your imagination a little bit and believe that this is a real people group. 
because we believe historically this is. And now believe this is happening, okay? Now insert yourself into this. Use your imagination and use your empathy. This is, this is a people, and it is ethnic genocide. It is state-sponsored genocide where the Egyptians are saying, every time there's a male born, we're going to kill him. Now imagine you're a woman and you become pregnant. And having a child is a huge deal. And having a male child back then is an even bigger deal. And you have a child and it's taken from you and it's killed. Imagine how the people, how the Israelites are feeling in this place at this time. F physically, you're sick, right? Because you want to have a child, but you're scared to death. And, and mentally, you're so distraught. And spiritually, spiritually, we're God's chosen people. Like We're the, cho we're the promised people of God. And now the Egyptians are killing our children. Can you imagine how this felt? And so put yourself in the story. And this is what is going on in the nation of Israel. God's chosen people. Isolated. Enslaved. And being cleansed of all the males. And then chapter 1 just stops. Right? Go to chapter 2. It's as if... Some little people came out and like changed the sets like they do at a play. And then like a new curtain comes in and a curtain comes up. And, and this whole story of the nation of Israel just pauses. And it, I mean, it's like a scene change in the story. And we've been talking really macro. We're talking about a nation. We're talking about two nations, the nation of Israel and the nation of Egypt. And now it zooms in on one human. And can anyone tell me the one human it now zooms in on? Moses. Good job, guys. Moses. So now, now the scene changes, and now we're just talking about Moses, and he's an interesting fella. He's born, right, like most people are, I guess, if, they're, if they exist. And so that's a good point, Tommy. And so Moses comes into the world, and they basically, because they don't want him to be killed because he's a male child, they sneak him down to it, which is like, this is a desperate plan. I don't know what to do with this kid. Let's take them to the river, and we'll float them down and kind of see what happens. So they build a little basket. They take Moses to the river. They float him down. He's floating down the river, you know, whatever. And eventually, someone finds him. And the someone who finds him is Pharaoh's daughter. And so he's raised in an Egyptian household because Pharaoh's daughter has empathy for this child, and she's, she can't bear the thought of killing a child. And so she brings Moses in, and he's raised as an Israelite in an Egyptian household. And then we have some interesting information about Moses here in chapter 2, verse 11. It said, Now it came about in those days, when Moses had grown up, that he went out to his fellow Hebrews, and he looked at their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his fellow Hebrews. So he looked this way and that. By the way, any time you look this way and that, you're about to do something wrong, aren't you? <laughs> he looked this way and that. And when he saw that there was no one around, he struck and killed the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. Now he went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews are fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, Why are you striking your companion? But he said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid. He was like, Oh, no. Surely this matter has become known when Pharaoh heard about this matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian down by a well. So now what do we know about Moses? Here's an interesting little side note. He's wanted for murder. Did you see that coming? So we go from nation of Israel, all these problems. Now we got this Moses guy 
raised in an Egyptian household as an Israelite. He kills somebody, so we know he's not afraid to kill. Uh, we know he, he has empathy for the Hebrew uh, situation, and we also know that he's not afraid to run from responsibility. Because after he kills the dude, he, bow, he bounces out, right? And so that's what's going on, and I'm going to introduce you to one more character, Exodus 2.16. Now the priest of Midian, Moses is now in Midian. He's run there to hide. He encounters the priest of Midian who has seven daughters. And they came to draw water and filled their troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. So he goes to Midian. He finds this, this priest who has seven daughters, which is probably a, you know, Moses is a single guy, so that's a win. And so he, he finds this situation, and someone comes against these, these seven daughters, and Moses stands up for them and protects them. And so that's sort of where we're at right now. Oh, and by the way, if you keep reading this story, Moses ends up meeting someone. Her name is Zipporah. Does anyone know who Zipporah is? Moses' wife. That's, and so he meets his wife in this, in this valiant situation. So let's look at the cast of characters, because this is how we read, right? We're, gonna, we're understanding context. Let's understand the cast of characters. We have the nation of Egypt, dominant superpower in the world, led by a king who is clearly ruthless, a king who who's, who's doesn't care what happens to people, a king who's willing to commit ethnic genocide to slaughter an entire group of people. So that's one character. Then you have the nation of Israel, and this is this enslaved people, but they, but they, but they had a promise from God. But they're now enslaved, and they're dealing with just horrific situations. And so then you have Moses. And Moses is this dude that just sort of randomly appears in a story, interesting life, kills somebody, he's on the run, he's hiding in another city, and you have his wife, Zipporah, which is just an unfortunate name. And so that's basically all the characters so far in this story, right? You with me? But there's one other character that you meet in chapter 1. And I find this to be a very important character. Because in chapter 1, it says that the Egyptian midwives feared someone. Does anyone know who it said they feared? God. So there's another character in this story. And the God we're talking about right now is not lowercase g, it's uppercase. Very specific, proper noun, Yahweh, the God, okay? Uh, and so we meet God, and we find out that even the Egyptian midwives fear him. Even though, even though they didn't worship our God, okay? They worshiped Pharaoh as God. They worshiped Pharaoh's children as God. But something about this Yahweh, they feared him. And, and in Exodus 2, 23, we find out, and this is where we're going to just sort of camp for just a minute today because I think this is the heart of chapter 1 and 2 and maybe the heart of the Old Testament, maybe in some ways the heart of the Bible. In Exodus 2, 23, we find out something very, very interesting about this God. It says, Now it came about... In the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Israel groaned because of their bondage. Of course they did. Can you imagine? They groaned because of their bondage. And they cried out. And their cry for help. And their cry for help because of their bondage ascended to God. So God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. Okay, please, 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 please don't, don't zoom past this part of the story, okay? Because this is the story. You need to understand this, and you will understand this over the next nine weeks. God, Yahweh, is the most powerful force the world has ever known. There is nothing like him. 
and you will see it. You will see a God that you should fear. You will see a God who speaks and things happen. This is the God who spoke and the world existed, and one day he will speak again, and this whole thing will be wrapped up and restored. This is a God with great, great, great power. And what do we intrinsically know about powerful people? Here it is, and you know, we know this. They're not typically great listeners, right? I mean, powerful people speak powerfully, right? You expect a powerful person to powerfully speak, but do you expect a really powerful person to listen? Power makes a wonderful earplug, doesn't it? Typically, powerful people don't really seem to listen. And you know that, and I know that, because we live in a country where our presidents are very powerful. And don't know one of them seem to listen anymore. And it's like no one's listening. It's like the more powerful you get, the less you're concerned with what people actually say. And that, that's the way of the world. The way of the world says, I am so powerful that I don't have to listen to you. Especially for kings in this day. A king in this day could care less what you had to say. They cared that you listened. They didn't care what you said. And now we have Yahweh God. There's something different about him. There's something different about him. And the thing that's different about God is that he hears you. He hears you. Not only does he speak powerfully, but he listens powerfully. Listen, a, a powerful speech can move you, but feeling like you've been heard can transform you. And this God in Exodus that you're about to meet, he hears you. He remembers you. He sees you. He is intimately aware of what you are going through. He holds all the power in his hands. Like, I, I, I can't wait for us to talk about this because I love the power of God. One of the reasons I worship with my hands up is not because, like, I'm doing it because I think I'm cool. It's because I know I'm standing in front of a force that's more powerful than me. And if someone puts a gun on you, they have the power. And so I raise my hands, right, because he's got the power. And as you go through Exodus, you are going to meet a God worthy of your praise. And then you're going to fear this God. And if you have no fear of God, then you are lacking wisdom and you need some. But at some point, the fear and the worship will go, hold on. When I sing, you hear me? When I cry, you're listening? When I hurt, you care? Like, who, who am I? Who am I that you would care about me? Who am I that, that even, even my thoughts are known? Who am I that, that you took time in creating me, that I am deeply and, and intimately known by this God who has, he's the most powerful person in the room. And he listens to me. And this is really going to mess with your theology. Because as we go through Exodus, you're going to see conversations where God appears to care so much about what people say. Get ready for this. That he changes his mind. And you're like, God can't do that. I didn't write it. Your beef is with Moses. And he'll be hard to reach for the next nine weeks. <laughs> you're going to read it and you're going to go, hold on, What? Did God just change his mind because of a conversation with a human? And I, 
I don't know what to do with that. I really, truly don't know what to do with that. Because I don't think that's God every day, but it happens, and so I don't know. But you're going to meet a God. You're going to meet a God who controls all things. The whole world is in his hands. Y'all know, if you grew up in church, he's got the whole world in his hands, right? And he cares about you. He's the God of angel armies. And he's the God of the sparrows. And this is why I love him. This is why I love him. I love having somebody that powerful. And, I, and I'll be honest, I have fear of God. My prayer is often, God, that I would fear you a little more. Because I think, I think I would orient my life a little more to his will if I feared him a little more. But not like in an unhealthy fear. It's like a reverent fear, an awe fear. And then this God that I fear, I realize he's for me and he's with me. And it, it's not as though he has the power and ability, but he's not just lording over me. He's sitting beside me. And we're conversating as if he cares about what I have to say. And when you bring him your fear, he cares. And when you bring him your anger, he cares. And when you bring him your doubt, he cares. And when you bring him your pain, he cares. And when you bring him your joy, he cares. This is our God. This is the God we will meet together. This is the God that will lead us to drop to our knees and praise him. Because he is Lord Almighty. And he cares about you. Welcome to Exodus, my friends. I look forward to this journey. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.